morning. Uh, thanks for, for joining us today. Um, if you're new, uh, thank you, thank you for, for being here today. Um, we are glad um, to have you t- to join us today. This week I was reading, um, I read a, a blog entry this week, and um, it was entitled something like, So You Want to Date My Daughter, or something like that. And I'm not sure why. I mean, it, it was interesting to me. Someone had, it, it had come across my, my inbox, and so I, I read it, and it's basically this, this father. He was, a, he was a follower of Christ. He was a father of a teenage girl. And he was writing a, a list of 12 rules to any prospective suitors, to anyone who was potentially wanting to date his daughter. And it was fascinating. I mean, it was, it was humorous um, because I really understood where he was coming from. But I don't, I'm not sure if he meant it to be humorous. He said things like, uh, num- yeah, there was 12 things, and, and one of them was, you will accept my Facebook friend request. <laughs> uh, that was pretty cool. Um, another one said, I will talk with your father, and I will hold him responsible for how you treat my daughter. If he agrees to it, then you're in a good place. If he doesn't, then you don't have a chance with me. It's very interesting, very interesting kind of stuff. Uh, he wrote things like, um, if you find yourself alone with my daughter, don't panic. Do whatever you can in that moment to rectify that situation. If you cannot or if you desire to be alone with my daughter, that would be the time to panic. It's very interesting. Um, there was another part that said, um, you don't love my daughter. You have no idea what love is. You may like her. You may one day grow to love her, but you don't love her. So don't tell her that you love her. Don't sing romantic love songs to her. You have no idea what love is. A girl's heart is a fragile thing. And if you break it, then I will show you your own heart. It's very interesting. Insightful, though. Um, it's, it's pretty crazy stuff. And as I was reading, I was like, hey, this guy's pretty cool. You know, it's very, very... Uh, down my alley, and I thought as a, as a father of a daughter one day, you know, uh, many, many years later, I will have my list of 12 things that I will present to this guy one day, um, and it will probably be similar. But there was one thing on the list, um, the number one thing on the list that I thought was the most interesting thing. In, in number one, um, bar none, and he said, you will love Jesus more than you love my daughter. Yeah, that's what he said. That you will love Jesus more than you love my daughter. I don't care if you're, and he put in quotes, I don't care if you're a good Christian boy. I know how good Christian boys act because I was one of them. You find ways to get around things that you think nobody knows about. I've got my eye on you. Maybe other fathers of girls that you've tried to date didn't care, but I care about my daughter. And if you think that you can get away with anything, I will break your neck like Jason Bourne broke the necks of that guy and that, which guy? Every guy is what he said. Very interesting. And I thought to myself, why? It's really peculiar to me that he would single out and put in parentheses and quotes, good Christian guy. Because he knew that good Christian guys and good Christian girls, for that matter, can be extremely sinful in how they live. We know this too, don't we? Why is this? Well, I think to give the benefit of doubt, I think part of it is because we have a lot, a lot of it is that we have these dual natures in us. Every child of God has two natures fighting within us. There is a spiritual side that wants to do what is right, and there's a fleshly side that wants to do what is wrong, that goes in the, way, in the direction of our natural in, inclinations and desires and longings of our heart. And these things are fighting against each other. And sometimes in our moment of weakness, we give in to the flesh. 
And so good Christian boys and good Christian girls can do some pretty awful things. But I, that, that's one explanation. But I think another explanation is that a lot of what our modern society would consider to be, quote-unquote, good Christian people fails the biblical test of genuine Christianity. In other words, there are a lot of people who claim to have this title of a Christian, and Jesus would look at these lives and say, that's not what I meant when I said follow me. That he would look at it and say, is that, that's, that's not what my word teaches. And so what does it mean to, to really follow Christ? For the next five weeks, I want to talk about this, this journey of faith and what it means to, to really follow Christ. Because I think there is a misconception in modern culture and throughout the years. It's not just modern. It's a, it, even from before our, our generation. There's a misperception of what Christianity is. That we go to church and therefore I'm, I'm on a path to heaven. Or I, I know the right things. Or I, I believe in, in, in the right things. Even though there's no evidence of fruit in my life. Um, I think we have this misunderstanding of what Christianity is. And so I want to look at the life of a woman named Mary. Uh, they called her Mary Magdalene. And see the journey of faith through the biblical descriptions of her life. Okay, so if you would turn to Luke chapter 8, it's a very short passage I want to look at. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And I want to look at what the Bible, this this first account of Mary, uh, at least chronologically, says about her, and then what we can learn about the first steps in our journey of faith as well. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. This is God's word. As we think about Mary, they call her Mary Magdalene. Mary, it says Mary called Magdalene. What do we know about her? There's been a lot of speculation throughout church history as to who she is. There are some people who said she was once a prostitute in the town of of Magdala. That's what a lot of people believe. Um, There are some who believe that the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 7, John chapter 8, that they, uh, these, these, these bad people brought to Jesus in the act of adultery. There are some people who said, that's Mary. There are others who, who said that there was a sinful woman who anointed Jesus with her tears and, and washed, her, washed his feet with her hair. And Jesus says, from whom uh, much has been, uh, for those who've been forgiven much will, will love much. There's speculation that's her. I don't, and as I read other commentators um, I don't believe that this is who Mary Magdalene is because the Bible doesn't say that's who she is. Again, there's speculation, there's talk about it, but that's not who they say. What does it say about her? In, in verse 2, it says, also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. And then it says the first one, Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. So there's a lot of people named Mary in those days. You know, you, it's easy to get confused when you read about the cross, you read about the resurrection. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus. There was Mary, another Mary. There was another Mary. There was another Mary and all of these different people. There's a lot of people named Mary at the time. And so instead, they could have made it easy and just called her Mary Larry, but they didn't do that. They, they said Mary called Magdalene because she's from a, a town called Magdala. Okay? 
Magdala. That's what that place was called. And so it's kind of like, you know, Olivia is from a little town in Korea called Daegu. So it's like, you know, you call, hey, what's up, Daegu? And that's what they called her. Magdalene, what's up? That's, there, you go, there goes Magdalene. That's what they're calling her. That's kind of important, but it's not all that important. The, the most important thing here is what it says after that. From whom seven demons had come out. Now, I want to kind of focus on that idea that Mary Magdalene was this woman from whom these demons were sent forth and and just kind of lead us in a progression. The first thing that I want to mention here is that Jesus Christ is a person to be experienced, not just a subject to be studied. Jesus Christ is a person to be experienced, not just a subject to be studied. I, I hope that immediately at the outset as you hear this, Some of us are beginning to think, have I personally experienced Jesus Christ? Because that's where the journey begins. The journey of of life eternal doesn't begin with, okay, you know what? I know him, therefore I must, I know these things about him. in, In first grade, I won the memory verse contest, so I must be on the way to heaven. Uh, maybe, maybe you are, but that's not the most important thing. The first thing that we have to see is that Jesus is a person to be experienced, not just a subject to be studied. She had seven demons in her. You think about people who are demon-possessed. I don't know if you've ever encountered people like this. Um, it's not altogether pleasant. Maybe you've seen it in movies like The Exorcist. Okay. Maybe you think of people who, are, who are, are demon-possessed or demonized, and you think of someone who can spin their head 360 degrees on a swivel. Right? That's what a demon – or someone who does like cartwheels like crazy and without using their hands. Maybe that's what you think of. Um, there is a lot of Hollywood in these movies, obviously, um, because that's what sells. But I, you know, I, I hear about stories of people who are demon-possessed, and I do hear things like people doing these like cartwheels over and over and over again with superhuman strength. It is really some pretty crazy stuff. And so these things are, are, are tormenting Mary. Okay, these demons that live inside her. It doesn't say how they got there. Perhaps there was, um, it can happen in a bunch of different ways. Um, some kind of dabbling <clears throat> in witchcraft or the occult or whatever it might be. Uh, sometimes people have invited demons into their heart. And whatever the case might be, she had these demons afflicting her. In, in Mark chapter 5, it tells another account of, uh, of this guy in a region called the Gadarenes. And he had all kinds of demons in him. And, and they were, you know, just violent people. People when their, their hearts would become possessed by evil spirits, they would begin to do things that uh, would defy logic. Uh, they, would, they would, you know, this guy in Mark 5 took stones and he was the original people who, who would cut himself and he would carve into his skin. And he wouldn't even feel it, right? damaging himself without even feeling anything. They, they tried to lock him up with chains in his hands and his feet, and he would break, three, break free from all of these things. It's just like extra normal power within uh, the spiritual realm and the, these demons that are afflicting this guy. And, and when Jesus comes, they realize that at the name of Jesus, the demons have to flee. And so they come and they, 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 they speak through this man's mouth and they say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Please don't, if anything, if you cast us out of this man, let us go into these pigs. And for some reason, Jesus tells the the demons that are in this this man to go into the pigs. He asks, what is your name? And they say, our name is Legion. My name is Legion, for we are many. Legion was basically referred to an encampment of about 6,000 Roman soldiers. So it doesn't say if there are 6,000, but there's a lot of them in this person. Um, 
I don't know if I've told you about the time when a friend of mine met a guy who was severely demon-possessed. And he said, what is your name? My friend just asked him, what's your name? And with his eyes rolling in the back of his head, he looked at him and said with this sinister voice, he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he, immediately he thought of this passage in Mark, in Mark 5. Now, I'm not going to tell that story. Maybe I'll save that for another day. But crazy stuff, crazy stuff that is very similar to what we see in the Bible. So this demon-possessed man says, Our name, my name is Legion, for we are many. And they're begging him, Jesus, please let us go into these pigs, this herd of pigs. You guys know this story? If you don't, check it out, Mark, Mark chapter 5. Um, it, it's crazy. They say, let, let us go into, the, into this group of, into this herd of pigs. And, and Jesus says, okay. And you try to understand, why would Jesus let them do that? So they go into this herd of pigs, and this herd of pigs runs. They go crazy. They go ballistic. And they run off a cliff and into a lake, and they all die. And the people of the village are like begging Jesus, please don't stay here. Please leave. Go somewhere else. For whatever reason, I mean, in a large part, that's their livelihood is is these herd of pigs, and they've just lost their entire economy. And so they're begging Jesus to leave. But why does Jesus let them go into the pigs? In part, in part, what Jesus is trying to explain is to demonstrate early on in his ministry, Mark chapter 5, early in his ministry, he's trying to show that this is the nature of the kingdom of darkness, that they are hell-bent on destruction and killing and destroying the lives of believers and the lives of unbelievers. But the very nature, the the heart of the kingdom of darkness is to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says in John chapter 10. If there is anything in your life where you feel like the life of love or joy or Christ or peace is being stolen from you, you can bet that you are fighting in a spiritual battle. If you feel like there's destructive forces in your life, that you are destroying your life through drugs, through alcohol, through relationships, through uh, hurting yourself, self-injury, whatever it might be, destructive thoughts, you can, you can bet that you're involved in a spiritual battle. Anything that seeks to kill. Right? Jesus says, the enemy seeks to steal kill and destroy. But Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. There is a cosmic conflict from the very beginning of time that has been operating and is even at work now. We talk about this all the time. When your thoughts get distracted as you're hearing the word of God, I'm not saying that's the devil trying to, but the, the enemy can use these things in order to steal your attention, in order to destroy the life of Christ within us. So anyways, this is what's happening with Mary. She's got not just one demon, but she's got seven demons that have possessed her okay, that are working in her life to rob her of life and, and and sometimes it causes her to do crazy things she begins to think irrationally she becomes a menace to society she hurts herself she hurts other people maybe she was you know exhibited superhuman strength i once i i, I saw this one young little girl high school girl demon possessed and she was throwing these people around right big like teenage counselors colleges just throwing them around Maybe that's what she was like. And, and at the end of the day, no, nobody wanted to be Mary's friend, probably. Like, there goes that crazy, crazy, crazy old Mary. At that point in time, what does someone like Mary need? What does someone like Mary need? I guarantee you, she doesn't need to read a book. Here, study this. I guarantee you, she doesn't need to, to know all kinds of Bible trivia or sit in a church. She needs an experience. She needs an encounter with Jesus Christ. And Mary's life, in in the stages of her life, she is a picture of every single one of us. That at at some point in our lives, we 
are, are, are enemies of the, of the devil who's seeking to steal and to kill and to destroy. And every one of us born into the world, into this cosmic conflict, we don't need just mere education. We don't need to learn more or, or understand a little bit more. That's all important. But Jesus Christ isn't simply a subject to be studied. He's a person that needs to be experienced. And we need to have an experience, a real life living relationship with this Jesus Christ. The constant theme throughout Jesus' teachings is not just, hey, you need to understand what I'm saying. It's you need to be in relationship with me. You need to fall in love with me. You need to understand my love. You need to have been transformed by the life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what every human heart needs. It's not just more studying. It is an encounter. It's an experience with Jesus. It is a life-giving relationship with him. I don't know if, you, if you've ever heard of the 17th century philosopher, mathematician, Blaise Pascal. This is amazing, amazing mind. And he would debate with the great thinkers of Europe talking about the existence of God. He was responsible for uh, the, the, the framework for our modern-day calculator, Pascal's wager, all of these philosophical darlings that we study in our classes, the brainchild of Blaise Pascal. There came a point in his life where he's arguing for the existence of God, against the existence of God, and, and he just couldn't, he couldn't study it anymore. He, he realized that he's come to his wit's end. He died at, at the young age of, of 39, but... Eight years before he died, and no one really knew about this until late in his life. Eight years before he died, he had this encounter. Um, he had this encounter with, with God, and this is what it says. November 23rd, 1654, he was reading John 17, and he just met God, and this is what he wrote. It said, from about half past 10 to half past midnight, fire. Right, and get this part. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and scholars. Okay, certainty, heartfelt joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, thy God shall be my God. The world forgotten, everything except God. The beauty of the human soul, joy, 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 tears of joy. This is, this is powerful. And eight years before he died, he, he wrote this in his journal. He ripped it out and he sewed it on the inside of his vest. And it was only found after he died by his best friend. He saw the date on it. And Blaise Pascal kept this in his vest because he wanted this life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ to always be central to his heart. And, and I love what he says. He says, not the God of the philosophers, not the God of the scholars. In, in other translations, he wrote, not the God of the wise, not the God of the, of the learned, but the living God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the, the God who's alive. An encounter with him that changes me forever. Guys, it's not just about growing up in church. And that's not what it's all about. It's not just about mentally believing the right things. Because in James, he would say, you know what? Demons believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And they're afraid. But they're not going to heaven. They're not saved. It's not enough to know the right things. The second thing, the second thing I want to say is Jesus Christ did for her what nobody else could. He just followed this progression here. Jesus Christ is a person to be experienced, not just a subject to be studied. The second thing, Jesus Christ did for her what nobody else could. 
Verse 2, also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, you can imagine, like her parents tried everything. They tried everything they could. Maybe, maybe they tried to spank her. Maybe they tried to, if they had any kind of medicine, they tried to give it to her. They took her to doctors. They took her to friends. They took her to counselors. They tried to talk her out of it. They tried to reason with her. But none of that stuff worked. And I wonder if the enemy has been ruining, trying to ruin our lives, to steal, to kill, to destroy, and everything that we've tried only leads us further and further and further into an abyss of hopelessness, of doubt. Maybe it's a struggle with alcohol. Maybe it's a struggle with another addiction. Maybe it's a struggle with with harmful, depressive, negative thoughts that you know are irrational. Right? Suicidal thoughts, evil thoughts, things that that you know, gosh, I don't know why I'm this is not I'm, I don't know why I'm thinking these thoughts. It's not me. It's not rational. It's not it's, I shouldn't be thinking these things. I know as a child of God I shouldn't. And you've tried everything. The, the, the beauty of, of this encounter and of, of Mary's life as a prototype of the Christian life is that Jesus Christ did for her what nobody else could do. See, there is a, a song that we used to sing, um, There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. I think Mary could easily have written that song. Can you imagine her life, right? Constantly just fighting against these things and and irrational things and, and doing things that she knows she shouldn't do. There's none like you, Jesus. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And even if I looked for eternity long from, from one end of the earth to the other, I'd find there's none like you. Here's the thing, though. Isn't it true that we could sing that song about just about anyone? And not, not about Jesus, but think about anyone. In fact, I had a friend who sang this song to his high school sweetheart at their talent show. Right? Think about that person. Doesn't have to be Jesus. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. I can search for all eternity long and find there's none like you. We sing that about anyone. What's, what makes Jesus different? In fact, I had this conversation with someone. I have this often throughout my, my years, especially when I was doing youth ministry, this conversation about the, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I, I need to talk to you about something. Oh my gosh. What? what? Just, oh my, I don't, I, don't have, I don't know how, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, just spit it out. Come on. Oh my, oh my gosh. I, this is this, 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 this boy, this girl, whatever it is, this, this person. Like, oh my gosh. Like, oh my gosh. I don't know how. Like, oh my gosh. Like, come on already. Come on. But I'm patient. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Just, you know, take your time. There's this, there's this person, and they're, they're, they're just like, uh, I, 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 I think they're the one. Okay, well, okay, okay. Explain. Like, and no one, no one has made me feel this way before, like this, this guy. Like, no, I've never felt this way about anybody before. They, the, whenever I see them, my, my heart starts like doing this kind of thing, and I've never felt that way about anyone else. What does that mean? So, well, let's, um, let, let's talk a little bit more. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about what's going on. 
like oh my gosh it's like so good like i feel so happy when i'm when i'm with them and i i i think i'm i think i think they're the one i think we're ready to get married and like hold on a second you know first of all let's put on the brakes a little bit you're only 11 years old we can wait a little bit but like what is it about this person like oh my gosh it's like i i just it's like it's like i feel so good when i okay okay let, let's wait a little. Five days later, hey, uh, how, how's it going? Uh, you know what? I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think they're the one anymore. Why not? I thought like I thought they were the one. I thought they moved your heart and everything was good. And yeah, I don't like them anymore. See, our hearts. The, the problem about our hearts is that they're so fickle, aren't they? Our hearts are so deceitful. And it's kind. Of, do you ever? I don't know if you guys watch The Office, but I know it's 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 on a down down downturn right now, but I still watch it. I'm I'm devoted. I'm faithful. And so Olivia and I were watching this past week's episode, and there's this guy named Ryan, and Ryan has had this on again, off again relationship with this girl named Kelly, and um, they're just really stupid. They they're just always getting back together, even though they know they're not right for each other, and it's really comical. But there's this guy who comes into the picture. He's a doctor, just a fabulous guy, just blows Ryan out of the water. And Kelly starts seeing Ryan. Um, so Kelly starts seeing this doctor, and Ryan gets jealous. And so he's trying to win her back, and everyone's like, no, you're a, you're a goofball. You're, you're no good for her. She's so much better with this other guy, and he's constantly trying to win her back. And at the end of the show, he's got, like, this royal regalia from, like, India because Kelly's Indian. And he's on, like, a, he's on an elephant or a horse or something like that, and he's trying to win her back. And he's like, Kelly, I love you. I want to marry you. I don't know if I'm going to feel the same way tomorrow or next week. But right now, all I know is that I love you and I want to marry you. And that's the thing with our hearts is that our hearts are wicked and they're fickle and they're changing all the time. When Mary says, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you. I can search it. She's not just talking about a flutter of an emotion here. What's different about Jesus? What's different about what Jesus is doing? It's like her entire Life has been transformed. If we're basing our life decision like, oh, oh you know what? You're the one on, on simple, uh, simply how we feel or our emotions or, or the fact that our hearts go up and down like this. That's very, 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 very shaky ground. And Mary's not saying that about you. Here's what she's saying about Jesus. It's that, it's that verse. Your mercy flows like a river wide. And healing comes from your hands. Suffering children are safe in your arms. There is none like you. You cannot say that about anybody else. All of these other things you could talk, I could say that about any of y'all here. There's none like you in some way. Okay, there's none like you, Bill, who can, whose name, Bill Lee, who can wrestle the way that you do at West Orange High School. There's none like you. I could search all eternity long and I will find there's none like you. We could say that about anyone. But Jesus Christ does for Mary and wants to do for you and me what nobody else can do. Your mercy flows like a river wide and healing comes from your hands. See, think about Mary. She goes to a high school reunion. You can't help but to notice a difference in Mary. So here are her friends, people who used to be friends, and, and it's like 20 years later, and they're like, girl. You look different. What's wrong? Did you get your hair done or something? Something wrong with your, you lose weight or? Well, actually, you know, I had like these seven demons in me and like they're gone and I'm completely different now. 
Yeah, I knew there was something about Mary, right? That's what the, there has to be a noticeable difference in the way that we live life. See, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what Mary's life is testifying to. It's like everything that Mary does from that point on is different. Do you get it? Think about someone like, like Lazarus. Think about somebody like Lazarus. He was dead. Like everybody knows he's dead. His body begins to stink, if it says. Four days later, Jesus says, come out of the tomb. And he comes out like a zombie with grave clothes on. They're like, holy cow. From that moment on, everything about Lazarus' life is different. Every time he sneezes, people are like, oh, my gosh. It is testifying the fact that he was dead, but now he's alive. See, when we encounter Jesus, everything that we do should testify to the fact that we are a different person now. Yeah, we stumble. Yeah, we struggle. Sometimes we backslide. We go back to our old life, but we get back onto, by the grace of God, this new pattern of life that God has called us to. See, here's the thing. A lot of times we want what Jesus offers to us, don't we? We want the healing. We want the health. But then we don't throw ourselves upon the mercy of God like Mary does. See, we want our cake and we want to eat it too. I, I know this to be true because I go to my doctor and he tells me, you know what? You need, to, you need to get healthy in certain areas of your life. And I look at my charts. I'm like, dude, I want to get healthy. That scares me sometimes. And he says, here's what you've got to do. You need to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm thinking in my mind, can't you just give me a shot? Can't you just give me a pill? Hey, maybe, maybe that works health-wise. Yeah, we're like so bad we can have some kind of, I don't know, surgery, or we can get some kind of a, a drug that's going to change the way our, our health. Maybe, that, maybe sometimes that works physically. But spiritually, there's no such thing. We want the health that Jesus offers us. We want the wholeness. We want the joy. We want the life, the peace, the patience, the kindness, all these things that Jesus promises to us, the abundant life that he promises to us. He says, you have to walk the path that I've called you to walk. And the beauty of Mary and the reason why her story is is held up is that she was willing to do that. She gave everything she had because he changed her life. Because he did for her what no one else could do. What no friend, no counselor, no parent, no guidance counselor, no teacher, nobody else could do that. He changed her life. And she said, as a result, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. If you die or I die, I'm going to follow you until the end. And she did. See, a, a lot of times it's like we, I don't know if at your house you have this, at my house we have it, at most houses we have this. You, you have these two containers. You have a, a trash can where you throw away all of like your junky food and your junky plates and stuff like that. And then you've got a recycling bin, right? You've got this thing where you put your old plastics and your old cans and bottles and, and, and stuff like that. You put that in the recycling bin. Why? For that to be used again. But every now and then there are things where, we, things that we should recycle where Olive and I will be like, hey, you know what? Can we recycle this? And we're like, you know what? You, you can't. You can't recycle that. Throw it away. Why? Because it's too dirty. It's broken. It's damaged. It's messed up. It's not fit to be used again. Let's throw it away. And a lot of times, I think everyone else in Mary's circle of friends said, let's throw Mary away. She's too damaged. She's too broken. She's too dirty. She's too messed up. She can't be used for anything. I wonder if, I wonder if that's what... Some of us have been told that you've gone too far now and that you, you did it now. You're too far. And it's not just like once or twice. It's like eight years of living this way. 
10 years of living this way. They're, and people look at you, maybe even your parents look at you and they say, you know what, they're, let's, just, let's just let them go. They're hopeless. See, every person in Mary's circle probably said, you know what, let's put Mary in the trash can. But Jesus looks at her and says, you know what, I think I can do something with her. And he takes her broken life. And in an instant, she's changed. And then she's sent forth to do the work that Jesus Christ has called her to do. See, there are things in your life that Jesus wants to do that nobody else on this planet can do. There are things in you that Jesus sees that no one else in this world sees. And when you think and others think you need to go to the trash bin, he says, no, 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 no. I'm not finished. I'm not finished with you yet. Until you die, I'm not done with you yet. And he says, let's go. We've got work to do. Because Jesus wants to do for you as he did for Mary what no one else could do. And this is the last thing that we see. The last thing that we see is that Jesus Christ is still fixing broken lives today. Okay, this is not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but he's still fixing, and he still wants to fix your broken life today. You've got to see, you've got to understand this. I say this to our missions team as we're reading through the, the book of Acts, and, and I remember one of our, actually one of our people was doing a devotional um, during our winter Ecuador trip, and they're sharing from Acts and talking about how these miracles that were being done, and, and I think she was saying, you know, it would be great. What if we begin to see these things on the mission field? And why shouldn't we see these things? See, understand that the, what we see in the book of Luke, what we see in the book of Acts, what we see in Mark, what we see in the, in the Bible, whatever Jesus did in the Old Testament and the New Testament, if Jesus has done it, if God has done that in the past, he is able to do that and much more today. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And just as Jesus fixed the broken life of Mary, the broken life of, of, of this gathering demoniac, Just as he fixed the broken life of Lazarus, he's still fixing broken lives today. And he specializes in the impossible. I love how one guy, Stephen Larson, said it. He said, the life of Jesus Christ is bracketed by two impossibilities. From a virgin womb to an empty tomb, all of his life was about doing the impossible. He entered into this world through a door that said no entrance. He exited this world through a door that said no exit, but he burst through all of these. And he continues to do the same thing today. And he's still at work. He's still doing it today. In fact, the way that he could, the only way that he could look into the tomb of Lazarus and say, Lazarus, come out, is if he were to one day go into the tomb. And that's why Jesus does for us what nobody else could do. Because he is unlike any other. No one else could die for your sins or mine. They might be able to die to save your life, but they will never die to save you from the punishment that you and I deserve. But at the cross, that's exactly what he did. The reason why he could say to all of us, come out of your tomb. The reason why he could say to all of us, be free from your bondage is because he entered into the bondage of the cross and of the tomb so that we could be set free. Telling you, man, he's doing this all over the world.
And he's doing this all over our congregation. And on June 10th at our service, I want to call us to testify to the work that Jesus Christ is doing. I want to, I'm going to show a video. We're just going to close here and show a video of how Jesus Christ in another church context is fixing broken lives. And as we do, I want to think about how he has, I want us to think about how is he changing yours? How has he changed yours? And if he hasn't yet, that we would invite him to do the same for us. So let's watch this and then we'll take a moment to respond. Guys, Jesus Christ is in the business of fixing broken lives. Maybe uh, maybe we have some brokenness in, in this place. I want to invite us to surrender this to the Lord and just pray this to him. Be to repent of our things that we've done to contribute to that, to renounce those things to receive his healing and then to live in a new kind of freedom. Maybe there are some of us, and again, I I don't know, man, in, a, in this room, if there are people who just feel like, you know what, I have been doing this, this church thing, but, and I don't really know. I don't really know if I've, I've experienced Jesus. I don't know if I've, my life has been changed by him. With our eyes closed as we pray, if there's anyone like that, you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, you know, I memorize verses, go to Sunday school class, but I don't know Jesus personally. It doesn't matter if you're in sixth grade or it doesn't matter if you're a parent of children, whoever you are in here, anywhere in between, feel like, you know, I need Jesus in my life. Maybe I thought that he could be my savior, but not my Lord, and and just life has fallen apart. I need Jesus to be my savior and then to be my master so that I can live in a new life. If there's anyone like that here, I just want to ask that you would raise your hand so I could just see you. Okay, thank you. Good to see you. I would love to talk with you. Praise God. There's some folks who responding to that invitation. Jesus came to fix broken lives. First John 3 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We all need a Savior. We need a Master to fix our broken lives. Before I pray, if there's anyone else, anyone else like that, you can just raise your hand. When I ask that we would pray, in our hearts, this is a genuine prayer. Would you repeat these words after me? Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you can do for me what nobody else can. My life is broken by sin. I need a Savior. Forgive me of my mistakes. Heal me. I renounce these sins. I turn away from them. 
so I could live the life you've called me to live. So be my Savior. Be my Lord. May a new journey begin today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I love you because you love me first. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.